You're listening to The Health Classes You Missed. My name is Monica and I'm a secondary school health teacher with a passion for all things health. Whether you're currently at school or you finished 20 years ago, this podcast will help you understand those topics that may have been skimmed over, considered inappropriate or flat out ignored. So sit up straight, faces forward, let's get into it. Hey team and welcome back to another episode today. As you can probably tell, I'm back in the studio. It sounds so (laughs) much better. Um, I hope everyone's having an absolutely amazing week. I'm very, very excited today because I've got not one, but two guests in with me, which is a first for the health classes you missed. So that's great. Firstly, I will introduce Alan Pierce. Alan is a professor in the College of Science, Health and Engineering at La Trobe University and the director at Neurosport Labs. So already, so already very, very talented. <laughs> he is also a clinical neuroscientist, an independent researcher, a corporate speaker, a community advocate and a concussion expert. That is an absolute mouthful and very, very impressive. Alan also regularly appears on radio, in media and on television to talk about sports-related concussion and your research in this space. So I can't even talk about all the ways. You have a lot of, I don't know, what is it? Hands, a lot of hats on, a lot of hands in jars, whatever it is. Puddings, I don't know. Fingers in pies. (laughs) Absolutely butcher that. Well, welcome, Alan. Thank you for coming in today. Thank you for having me. No worries. And I've also got someone else here. I said a second guest and that is Josh. Bromley Lynch from the Bromley Lynch podcast. Now, it might seem a little bit random. Why is Josh here? I don't know. Can you guys please tell me how you know each other and why why Josh is in here today? Well, um, thanks for having me, Mon. But look, it's it's great to be here. And Alan actually uh, is heavily involved with another Alan in my life, my father, who's known as uh, Alan Dizzy Lynch, um, who has had a fair bit to do with Alan in the last probably four to five years, uh, and our family has, especially mum and, and dad, um, just because dad was one of those players who used to play a lot of footy, a country footy, played at a reasonably high level as well, and over the last probably five or six years has started to um, get a bit worse with his cognitive functioning, um, slow movement, and just a lot of things going on for him that obviously took us all the way to our GP and then obviously to Alan, which has been a godsend for us because it's been able, it's been for us uh, an ability to find some answers in, in dad's house. So that's where our connection is. And we were actually on um, SBS Insight a couple of years ago now mm. uh, on a concussion special. Yep. There you go. Yeah. And I appreciate you coming on today and chatting about that um, and sharing that too, um, you and your family, because I know it's not just you. Um, That's great. And we've got obviously the expert in Alan, and then we've got some personal stuff from Josh, which I think is important as well, because people hear the facts, but sometimes you got to pull at the heartstrings to really get through, um, get a message through. So Alan, can Mm. you just tell me a little bit about yourself, about what you do day to day and just... Yeah. 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 So, like you had in the uh, introduction, I'm a clinical neuroscientist. I uh, I look specifically, obviously, in humans. I don't do any animal work, but uh, my my research essentially started uh, back in the 1990s when I was doing my PhD. That's how old I am. (laughs) And uh, originally, my my ideas were 
to understand how the brain reorganized itself, which is what we now know as neuroplasticity. But while I was there doing my um, my studies, uh, one of the, I guess, my mentors um, at the time, uh, Dr. Michelle Burns, who is very, very smart, two PhDs, one in neurophysiology, one in neuropsych. Jesus. Yes. She was looking <laughs> at stroke. Like that yeah, exist. which is another form of brain injury. And uh, I guess it was through watching and observing her work got me an interest in, in brain injury yeah. and and the technique I use came comes from that and, and to you know understand how the brain changes and rearrange but also we can asset, use it to assess changes following a brain injury so fast forward you know I've, I uh, moved from Perth where I grew up and did my studies and moved to Melbourne and eventually got to uh, start looking at brain injury um, at the Epworth Hospital back in 2009, but it was a bit of a hodgepodge. Um, and it didn't really sort of take off at that point in time. Um, but I then got a job at Deakin University. Um, and one of the PhD students in there who played VFL football said, oh, have you thought about concussions? I went, oh yeah, of course I've you know been interested in concussion. Yeah. Um, back in 2009, there was these first murmurings of, of you know, this strange disease from America in American footballers, which we can talk about later. Yeah. Um, but there was really nothing here. So that started my journey around 2009, 2010. Um, I eventually started to be able to get to look at, looked at um, retired football players from about 2011. Uh, and that's where things really took off. Um, as soon as, I guess, a few footballers, retired footballers started finding out that someone was actually doing some assessments and research, it just started to snowball from there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you yeah, know, here we are today, nearly nearly 15 years later, yeah. and this is my life uh, every single day. Yeah, wow. <laughs> well, and we need it, don't we? Because I think, talking about that, like we, Josh and I both play footy, mm-hmm. and you had concussion start of the year yeah yeah Yeah. it was shocking right it's coming to the lab i know i actually (laughs) i actually will because i know for a fact like i got it in uh, like the second quarter and i felt okay i got a free kick because someone hit me and i felt fine yeah went into half time felt all good and then an hour after the game yeah like the delayed concussion or if it's still de- yeah I don't know when that's normally meant to hit or yeah. is it hit meant to hit straight away yes well it, look in in my research delayed concussion as a term is is a myth okay. because if we wow. look at the under, understanding of the physiology of what happens straight after a, an impact to the brain yeah. things start happening immediately what's delayed if you can like use that term is the symptoms symptoms yeah. and so this is one of the reasons why if someone is you know, observe to be, have a have an impact to the head, gets up a little bit groggy. We got to bring them off. Yeah, assess them straight away because things can change within minutes, or it could change in an hour. You know, I've heard lots of stories of footballers, you know, coming off, going back on, mm-hmm. and then having another impact, and you know, all sorts of complications start to arise. So, yeah. we have to be really, you know, um, I guess stringent about mm-hmm. this. And, and not shake it off. Yeah. yeah. I had a, like, because then I started feeling really nauseous and mm-hmm. felt um, so tired later that mm-hmm. night and then mm-hmm. had a good sleep. But then two days, like two days later, I was on the couch, like pretty mm. much bedridden. Wow. Um, and then my, like, I was just like very vacant and I like, just couldn't process things that I normally would process very yep. well. And it took me like, I took a month off. 
Yep. Um, because obviously with dad's history, I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to take any risks here. No. And then I got back and played again. And then I just thought, nah, I'm not ready. And so yes. I had like another month off yep. until I felt ready and um, willing to go as well. Yeah. I think the willingness like was yep. something that I really struggled with. Like, do I really want to go out there? Yeah. And when yes. I was like feeling like, because like I didn't feel right going out there. So no. It just didn't feel like something I wanted to do. So until I was ready to go out there, that's yes. when I returned. And, and that's I- that's what makes this injury so complicated because yeah, you might be feeling all right, but then there might be a psychological element of anxiety of, oh, I don't oh, want to be... But then at the same time, the- uh, you know, you might not be feeling quite right, but... You, you might actually it might actually be that you might have recovered from your concussion so we've got to have better ways of assessing this this is know? the thing about like this is what we're going to ask as well like yeah. because like sometimes you'll suffer from a bit like short-term memory loss or like you'll you'll lose focus on something and like when this happened after my concussion i'm like oh my god i'm still concussed mm. and i had these shocking feelings like oh, i'm going to be concussed forever and yes yeah. i like, was the same i'm like i'm never going to be the same yeah. <laughs> yes yes and that was something I was really worried about. Like, is it concussion or is it just that I forgot something? Mm. And yeah. so- I think as well as teachers, like, we're busy, busy, busy. Yeah. yeah. And I was saying, like, I found after my – I had two very – I had one. Mm-hmm. My head didn't actually hit the ground. It was a whiplash, I think, of it. Yeah, that was mine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I had a week off as instructed and mm. then I went back the next week. I got hit in the back of the head again yeah. and I didn't get taken off. I said, I can't see, blah, blah, blah. Still didn't get taken off, which is – Probably a big okay. problem, especially in local footy as well. Yeah, yeah. And I knew I was really bad after that because yes. my partner said, you're not driving home, we're going to the hospital. Yeah. He just knew it straight away looking yeah, at yeah. me and I just burst into tears, which yeah. I'm not a crier. Again, and I just completely lost my marbles, which again, like now I've learned. Mm. Um, I forget where I was going with this, what we're we talking about. Oh, busy, <laughs> busy, busy, right? Yeah, so right. We're, we're, you know, <clears throat> doing so many things at once that sometimes afterwards I was like, oh, maybe I'm just being forgetful. Mm. But then even now there's other times where I'm like, no, I've actually just completely lost myself and I don't mm. know what I'm mm. talking about or doing in front of the class. or mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that feels like something that's stuck around yeah. for the both yeah. of us, I think. Yeah. You have to, you know, we have to, we can't sugarcoat this. A concussion yeah. is actually a brain injury. Yeah. It's not... A head knock? Yeah. I hate that term. I saw okay, that on I was Twitter. Gonna, I was going to ask you about the other uh, so, language surrounding that. Yeah, so we can that. talk about that yeah. a little bit more about that later on. But, you know, we, we do need to take this injury a lot more seriously. Mm-hmm. And, and we you know, there are some ongoing effects that don't necessarily resolve within, you know, probably my research and, and a few others around the world have found, that, you know, symptoms might resolve within 10 days, 7 no. to 10 days. But it, the physiological recovery might take anywhere up to, you know probably 30 days if not longer yeah so the fact that you might have a few little you know bits and pieces may be related you know you, we don't know i mean we, we we still just don't know at the moment so when you're talking about how it's 30 days i know for a fact the sport i love is afl and it's now yep. 12 days yes is that an arbitrary number like who's created yeah, why is it 12 that's really good question, yeah. uh, and I'll probably get a little bit political here, but uh, there is no – we haven't seen any any um, published research to, to justify 12 days at this stage. So it's just random? Uh, it appears to be that. So wow. what, what I did is I, I actually published a paper that came out, was actually ex- accepted before the announcement from the AFL, but it didn't get published till after the AFL had made their announcement, but I'm not bitter. Um, <laughs> but they uh, 
what we found, I had a look at the the time through the afl.com.au injury data. Um, I had a look at the players that were concussed and then through afltables.com.au is when they played their next match from 2017 to 2020 because in 2021 was when the 12-day rule came in. The mandatory rule. But in 2020, I don't know if you remember, but they brought in a kind of a, a, a rule as well where you had to get five-day medical clearance yep. before yep. you – Before the play – Well, from the club doctor. Club yeah, so yeah. This is in the AFL. So in oh, the right, club doctor yeah. before they played their next match. Mm. Whereas in 2017 to 2019, you could be cleared by your doctor the, up to the day before basically. Oh, um, okay. And so the idea was, oh, you know, we'll extend the, the time that the players are out if they get five-day clearance um, prior to the match. Yep. So theoretically that sounded – pretty good but what we found was that when we looked at the data from 2017 it was about median 11.2 days between concussion and return to play 2018 it was about 16 or 17 days 2019 it went up to nearly 20 days between concussion and return to play and in 2020 when they put this new rule in went right back down to 11 days oh wow and what happened was that the players were being cleared by the doctor within two to three days to meet that deadline because they could they had to anticipate them to come back come and play yeah, so rather yeah. so it actually worked against them yeah and so we had this data that was clearly showing it was just over 11 days in 2020 and then in 2021 they brought it's in mandatory. 12 days don't want to be conspiracy theorist <laughs> but you know this yep. is Again, there has been no. We've asked, you know, publicly asked in the media, you know, where's the research? We haven't seen any research studies to document that. There was a relatively notorious uh, um, interview on 3AW with one of the concussion working people who said, We've got all this research that we've done to make this decision. No one's ever seen it. So when it first came out, I said, Look, it's a good start. But I think we need to go longer, and you know, possibly, you know, even even as a as a, I don't know, as a comp, you know, to to try and sort of, um, I don't know, work something out, twelve day rest, then followed by the six stage protocol. Yeah. Yeah. You know, not having the six stage protocol recovery protocol embedded in the twelve days. Recover, yeah, so yeah. You've yeah, cleared after twelve, and then yeah. then I think you should try and go into the six days yeah. protocol because then that takes it out to eighteen days at least. Yeah, and you know that's that's so, something better than nothing. Yeah, I don't know if you want to go here, but what's mm. the hesitation from the AFL and sporting organisations to not look after the players as mm. well as what the evidence may suggest you should? You don't want your stars to be out too long. Yeah, you know. You can't have people coming to games if they're not if they're, you know, superstar players and not playing again this week. Is it because it's you can't see it? Do you think is that like a massive part? Well, of it? it's because also a, it's an invisible injury. Yeah. And at the moment, which you know, again, we really need to support more research. Is that it's all based on symptom resolution, um, and as soon as symptoms resolve, um, then the player's cleared medically. So, and and lots of players can can show that they're quite okay but knowing in themselves that they're not but they want to play so they hide it yeah, that's hard, <laughs> yeah especially it? for like um players that might be in jeopardy of getting a game or 
having a like it might be their last year of a contract yep. and then they want to be able to do this for another That's three right. years it's like oh, i've got to just maybe mm. lie a little bit or yep. um manipulate yep. the rules a little bit to, to want to play yeah yep and you know we've done a couple of uh attitudes surveys in not not elite players but just you know sort of um recreational community mm-hmm. club players you know um on whether they would hide a concussion um you know, would they play on with a concussion and not let anyone know? Um, and and the majority was yes, I would. Yeah, that's not surprising. Yep. My my partner's had a bunch of concussions, yeah. so yeah. many, and yep. uh, still played yeah. or has stayed on the ground. Yep. Or um, even when I had mine, it was going right into finals. So I got mm. my second one was the last round of the season. Yep. And so obviously, like, not pressure, I don't think, but you obviously want to play finals. Like. Uh, well, and so I was pretty keen yeah. on getting out there, but everyone around me was like, absolutely not. Yeah, can't, that's you right. know, not going to risk it Players now. can't be, can't, we've got to protect players from yeah. themselves. Yeah, because yeah. of course. And you, yeah. you think of young kids, like I, we both teach high schoolers mm. and there's been students um, in my classes that have experienced concussions well, I mean, and all, that's you, know, right. yes. you know, kids as young as 12 who have yeah. had really quite severe yeah. concussions. Yeah. Um, and the Murdoch children's, um, research Institute last year show, uh, brought out some studies that showed that uh, a third of kids who get concussed develop uh, mental health issues. Yeah, which is that's so that's serious. Mm. That's, that's crazy, isn't it? It's, perhaps you know, it's, it's and it's yeah. that's real. Like you that's have right. to be mindful of. Uh, yes, we were we were talking about um, you know. Oh, you had a question about junior. Oh, yeah. So mm. does that come back? So the people saying yes, they would hide the concussion. Mm. So it mm. must come back to um, maybe a lack of education as a youngster or is it just that that education it's, wasn't there what do you yeah, think yeah oh definitely a lack of education yeah but yeah. we also need culture change hunt yeah so yeah. with overseas researchers found that those who are educated can use that edu- their knowledge in a way that gets them out of you know so they know what to do because yeah. they know what's being looked at um but what we need to do is change the culture as well so having teammates look out for each other because yep. you know if you're concussed you may also not know that you're concussed or you're trying to hide it coach yeah yeah, yeah. I, I must say i played for a new club this year and they were incredible mm-hmm. in the way they helped me and anyone that suffered a bit it's of concussion good. that yeah. this year like they were yep. like do not play if you don't feel right like yep. i don't even care if you don't play the rest of the year. Yeah. Whereas I reckon four years ago at any club, it would have been like, mate, there's nothing wrong with you. You're That's not, right. Isn't you're not strapped up. Yeah, and I think I think things have changed certainly since you know the the you know the the terrible sort of cases of Danny Frawley and Shane Tuck. Shane Tuck. Yeah. yeah. You know? So that's really changed the conversation. Yeah, and it's and it's difficult to think that it takes that to cre- create that education mm-hmm. and that want to know. Mm. But that's just the way it is, especially in yeah. that, that embedded in that country footy right. culture, isn't it? Oh, look, I think it's everywhere. Yep. You know, yeah. it's, it's uh, uh, it, filtering through from, from the highest levels takes time. Um, and, and, you know, look, the next door neighbour, for example, who's a big supporter of what I do, obviously, you know, you, he cracked a, a cricket ball to the head um, on the weekend uh, had to get some stitches, but still wanted to continue on. <laughs> you know, so yeah. there's one what thing about talking to him. I, I, I just kind of looked at him and he went, yeah, yeah, okay. He know. knows which and is to look. And his just went off. <laughs> off. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it was certainly one it's of those things where, yeah, look, you know, we're talking about it, 
but to get rule change, we're going to have to change the culture. Yeah, and and I think there's still a little bit of that, but we're making you know we're making, making progress, progress, which is good, and yeah. doing more you know doing this and talking to to kids and and students. Um, hopefully, we'll, we'll sort of generate that change as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to look after look after their noggins, huh? Yeah, mm. we don't really think about it when no. you're young. You just don't. No. Taking a couple steps back yes. when we we're talking about AFL, um, what are the tests? How do you diagnose a concussion generally? Maybe just in general, yeah. in AFL, if it's the same, yeah. if it's different. Well, look, a concussion is a brain injury, so the only in Australia anyway, only a medical doctor can diagnose a concussion. So physios, nurses. Uh, certainly will have expertise, but they te- they technically can't um, have a medical diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in other countries, a licensed healthcare healthcare practitioner can do it, but in Australia, it's it's only a medical decision. Mm-hmm. So, um, if we if we're looking at you know say at AFL level at that elite level, you know they've got a doctor by the side of the, the field. Um, they will you know bring them off, and they'll mostly look at their symptoms. Um, and and assess through just sort of interaction with the player, but then they will also run a sports concussion assessment tool, which is what they call the SCAT. Yeah. Uh, latest iteration is version five. Um, the next consensus international consensus meetings in about two weeks, so we'll get version six next year sometime. Um, but essentially, it's a, it it looks at various aspects. So it looks at symptom reporting. Uh, it looks at um, Working memory, so give us ten, you know, give you ten words. Can you repeat them back to me? Mm-hmm. Uh, focus and concentration, so I'll give you some numbers. Can you repeat them back in the opposite order? Um, I guess orientation, so mm-hmm. you know, what day is it? Who are we playing? What time? That sort of stuff. Some balance, basic balance tests. Can you balance on one leg? Um, but one of the things that that still keeps sort of getting miscommunicated, particularly by the media, is that you know, a player can pass or fail the test and there's no such thing as a pass or fail of the scat. So someone can complete the scat with no errors or do anything, but a doctor can still override that and say, no, sorry, you can't play. Or alternatively, the player, and this was a, well, actually I'll I'll go into the moment, but a player could could do really poorly in in the scat and the the doctor says, well, actually, no, I I think there's something here that, you know, you're a bit... You, you, I know that you're okay, and they, again, they can overrule it the other way. So we had, uh, I guess, the, the the famous incident earlier in the year with Paddy McCartan, Paddy McCartan. <laughs> yes. yeah. where he came off, um, he was diagnosed as concussion. Uh, then they reversed the decision, saying, "Well, no, he was so anxious about it, sort of brought up all these memories." Yeah. Then they reversed it, and then the next day they then put him back on the twelve day list. So you can see how it's very subjective at the moment. Yeah. 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 So yeah, sure. it's almost a little bit biased as well if they want them to play maybe. That's they the, can that's just the other decide, concern. you know. That's the other I mean, the other the good one was... Pass and yeah. people well, who don't. I think the other really big uh, one was earlier in the year with the two Port Adelaide players. Oh, um, Butters and... I forget who the other yeah, one was. Yeah, but they clashed yeah. heads. Yeah. There was blood everywhere. Jesus. They were they were looking a little bit incoherent yeah. from yeah. my perspective. Yeah. Uh, they got bandaged up and they went back and played. That's right. Yeah. To an uproar, you know, to the point where the coach Ken Hinckley said, "Do you want the doctor to? Are you questioning the doctor? Yeah. You, do you want the doctor to go back to medical school?" Well, a lot of us said, "Well, maybe." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, this is this is why it's yeah we need to have better detection and methods. What are the most common uh, symptoms mm. post a concussion? Like as the um, yeah. brain injury happens. Yeah. 
What's the most common symptoms well, people look out for? We call it a constellation of symptoms. Yeah. And, you know, bearing in mind, you only need one of these symptoms to be diagnosed in cast, but you're looking at things like, well, loss of consciousness is probably Number. the most obvious, but it only occurs in 20%, maybe 15% of all concussions. Oh, wow. So a lot of people go, oh, he or she's not concussed because they weren't knocked out. No, <laughs> you don't yeah. need to be knocked out or loss of, but that's obviously a sign. Uh, you can you can uh, you can be disorientated. You can be uh, lack of, lack of balance. Uh, you can have um, what they call sort of incoordination, so movements, but they're not really. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't know if you're aware of the NFL last week oh, with Tua. Tua like, like. He he displayed um, what they call a fencing pose, which is or uh, uh, yep, um, tonic clonic seizure, oh, which is uh, Jesus, like a terrifying. yeah, it's, it's a brain it's a brainstem. Um, seizure so uh and he also displayed i think the week before he displayed sh- um signs of ataxia which is you know very stiff yes. movement yeah so wow. that's another one then he you played have, five days later that's right and then that's when he had the big um which has caused a huge uproar up he played huge. five days later that's right it was Jesus. Huge. yes yeah. yeah exactly we were all like please don't play the, and they put him on yeah. So you know, so um, not listening to the the neuroscientists. <laughs> well, who are they going to listen to? That's it. Yeah. So you know, there was a big uproar because the NFL were trying to blame the doctors. The doctors saying, "Well, you know, I did what the protocols were," and you know, yeah. so it was a real to and fro. But mm-hmm. you know, on on top of all that, then you've got nausea, you've got headaches, you've mm-hmm. got confusion, you've got slurring of words, you've got um, a bit, you get anxiety, you can have emotional lability, you know, you can have um, crying that comes out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've heard stories from, you know, NRL players just sobbing, you yeah. know, for no reason. Um, you can have, uh, I guess, irritability, aggression. Um, you, there's about 15 to 20 different signs and symptoms. Yeah. It's a lot. A lot. Heaps. <laughs> Absolutely. And yes. so, how, you know, once you diagnosed with a mm. concussion how do you treat it because i know when i went yeah. in i the second one i ended up in hospital yes and they said to me you shouldn't go to work you should just oh, they they essentially said quit footy um well, okay that's a bit extreme but anyway. right they said you shouldn't play again if you want to you know take care of your brain don't don't play okay. footy and i thought oh, don't know about okay. that okay um yes. <laughs> they said stay off computers and screens mm. they said just rest and obviously you know my job Yes, as but a teacher, how long, how long did, to rest? Did well, they they, give you they time? just gave me uh, a couple of days, so they gave okay. me two days. Yeah. Um, yep. And the one before that, I'd taken a day as well. I actually got sent home the one before right. that, so someone else had noticed it in yeah. me, which is the only reason I knew how to kind of take care of it the second sure. time a bit better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but other than that, mm. or you know, including that, what yes. what are people told to do? Because that can be quite yeah. hard, you know, with That's work right. and jobs and everything yeah. else. How can you help That's it? That's right. So. You know, up until probably, you know, 2016, 2017, it was rest in a darkened room. Don't interact with any uh, devices. Don't watch television. Don't do any exercise. Don't do anything. You know, complete shutdown. Jeez, just sit and, there. <laughs> yeah. And, and what most people found was that they got depressed. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> well, you, you, you can't do anything. It's, yeah. you know, but what we've kind of known since about 2012 that an active recovery, a light active recovery is better than doing no nothing, no rehabilitation at all. So yes, 21st, first 24 to 48 hours, rest. have a rest. You know, if you need to sleep, sleep. Um, that's not a problem. Um, if you need to take some Panadol, 
do that, not not ibuprofen or, or anything like that because that can increase blood bleed. Blood bleed. Okay, but but yeah. Panadol is fine. Um, and once you've sort of got through that initial sort of phase, um, then the idea is to start doing some very light activity within symptom guidelines. So if you went for a walk, didn't show any symptoms, that's good. You can then go to maybe you know a little bit more in, I guess, a higher intensity walk mm-hmm. or a slow jog. No symptoms, good. You can go a little bit harder. Um, no no uh, symptoms, um, and then start to resume activity. Same with devices. You know, limited time, maybe ten or fifteen minutes. If there's no, you know, s- s- irrita- irritation or light or fatigue, things like that, um, you can go a little bit more. But don't push it too hard. It's it's a graduated return. Yeah. Um, you know, and and I guess in terms of work. It's difficult because we get a lot of obviously, you know, club players having to work on Monday. What do you do? So, you know, whether it's possible to do a limited work, you know, for a couple of hours and take the half a day off or something, or just just build it up. But to do nothing is is not good either. And we've found that doing nothing actually has longer outcome, longer recovery than doing some something light. To yep. engage the brain just slightly, you know, it's just like just like other other injuries, you know, longer, you know, we get <clears throat> people having arthroscopes and walking the next day, you know, they're not in bed for four weeks or they're not in a cast, mm. you know, they they try and get movement happening. It's it's a similar <clears throat> uh, similar principle. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. And I want to know. This might be a silly question. Never a silly question in but science. How many is too many? You know, we talk about people having mm. a certain amount throughout their maybe their footy careers, whether that's AFL, yeah. whether that's otherwise. Yeah. Is there like an amount? I mean, I'm assuming it's just an individual thing and how it affects you. But mm. yeah, is there something where you can say, all right, I've had three? Yeah. For example, <clears throat> is that mm. too many? Is that all right? Is that? Yeah. <laughs> and th- we don't really know the answer to that question. Yeah. <clears throat> um, because you know, I've had people with one concussion come into my lab and they haven't recovered two and a half years later wow. or three years later. And yeah, then geez. others who've had 15, 20, 25 concussions oh are relatively fine. Yeah, you know, okay. so not that I would ever say that that's a good thing, yeah. <laughs> obviously, but we just don't know because we just haven't got the data to inform us. However, in saying that, um, if player, you know, if we, if we bring it back to, you know, contact sport if a player has probably more than three concussions in one year then they need to have the rest of the year off yeah and we need to have a think about what happens the following year so um you know we we really need to i guess have better ways of of assessing this but you know i've had you know i had one um female player who played up in queensland in in a elite league and she had four in one year and was was let back on within you know couple of weeks after each one and she now no longer plays because she has what we call post-concussion syndrome or persistent post-concussion symptoms where it's just ongoing so she's had to completely modify her life now and that's experiencing those constellation you said of symptoms just don't go away for the long term that's right so we have people with you know i mean this sounds a little bit you know dire i guess in a podcast but yeah yeah we have people with ongoing fatigue who can't work a full day we life. have people who have ongoing headaches who have never not had a headache every day since their concussion um you know they they struggle to in comprehend information yeah all sorts of things the, yeah. the ramifications on their mental health from that uh, and then that's the 
that then leads on to depression. Yes, wow. absolutely. Because yeah. if you know, you can imagine you can't work anymore. You, you can't drive necessarily. You can't uh, uh, do all the things that you did before as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's it's going to affect your mental health. Is is the damage irreversible once you've had that concussion? Um, yeah. Uh, yes. We the the I guess the the damage that we talk about is in. Um, in a micro damage so we're not talking about damage like a a, a, tr- a full traumatic brain injury you know where you see huge areas of brain just knocked out you know th- what we're seeing with concussions is that it's it's micro damage and so the micro damage can slowly start to recover and mm-hmm. and what we find is that yeah it it it, it does uh, improve over time but again it's very individual on that recovery time um and in, in as a in some small, very you know, my a notable minority of people, it never they never do recover, and we just don't know why. Is it genetics? We don't know. But wow. um, you know, one of my my colleagues at the Australian Sports Brain Bank, you know, has shown some um, some data on people who've had a concussion and then passed away from something else, and they were able to get the brain and show that a concussion actually does have some pathology, causes some pathology in the brain. So it, there is some damage, but we're not really able to see it that clearly um, because with a concussion, MRI, CT scans don't pick up no, anything. If, if you yeah. do, then it's something a bit more serious. Yeah. So if you hear a player going off to hospital for scans, they're not scanning for concussion. They're actually scanning for more serious injury, whether it be bleeds. spinal whiplash or brain bleeds or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Did you have to get scans when you... I did in the end, yeah, yeah just to Same. prevent like the like rule out a black Everything. brain bleed, yeah. yeah, um, and there wasn't a brain bleed, no, yeah. it's great, luckily, yes, yeah, yeah. which That's is really good. good. That's right. All right, this is another question. I'm sure. not going to say it's a silly one. We said no silly no, no. questions inside. No, that's right. Helmets, because okay. okay, are they effective? Everyone that I've talked to since I said I get a concussion, they said I've got a concussion. They said chuck a helmet on, you'll be fine. And I said, sweet, a helmet, great. Good option or not? It's probably the biggest myth in concussion that a helmet will protect the brain from concussion. Okay. It so will no have good. absolutely no effect. Yeah. So wh- the reason why that is is because if you think about the anatomy of the brain and, and how it sits in the skull, yeah. yep, it's a very soft tissue. It's a very delicate tissue. Mm. So... I open up your head, sounds a bit morbid. I pull your brain out. It's fine because there's no pain pain receptors in your brain. I can. Oh, you can just grab it. You can grab it. Oh, sweet. That's yeah. Can we, yeah I can <laughs> test that right. That's here. right. Yeah. Just... The, the bit that hurts is cutting your skull. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's the pain bit. receptors yes, there. That's right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so you know, if you look at brain surgery, once they get in there, yeah, th- there's wow. no worries, and that's why they do you know certain surgeries are fully conscious. Because no, they don't. yeah, they do because oh. they want to make sure that that part of the brain isn't being uh, affected when they're operating. So the you know Parkinson's, for example, mm. yeah, they do wow. certain type of surgeries where for eight hours the person is locked in their head, uh, locked in the in a in a you know um, a, sort of like a uh, I'm trying to think a structure that that keeps their head still, but they've got to stay fully awake the whole time so they can move their hands, move their feet, so that the surgeon you know so yeah, that's that's. 
you know, there's no pain receptors. So yeah. anyway, back onto that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I can take out your brain. It would go through my fingers. So when you do, uh, you know, back in the day when I did, you know, human bi- biology and we had the sheep's brain. Sheep's brain. Yeah. They're solid the as brain. a rock, those things, That's though. a fixed brain. Okay. So again, when we do research at the brain bank, um, we have fixed brains and we slice it with a ham slicer. Oh, <laughs> but that's yeah. because it's fixed, so it's we can get the slices, so we can actually do the analysis. Yeah. So that's what happens. But in an unfixed brain, it's very delicate, and it and it moves really easily, very easily. Now, if you put a, a helmet over the top, and you're getting an impact, it doesn't that's dissipate nothing. enough force mm. for that that brain tissue to move. Now, the complicating factor on that too is that your brain sits in fluid called the cerebrospinal fluid. Yes. And that's that's pretty good if you you know knock your head you know on a door oh you know oops you know that sort of stuff because it's just there just enough to give a little bit of cushioning, but when you start to get hits of thirty g, forty g, fifty g, hundred and ten g, hundred and thirty g's, one g being Earth's gravity, yeah, that stretches that shears the brain cells, Jeez. so you don't have any protection of the brain. Yeah, the helmet will protect your skull from fractures and lacerations yeah. but not the brain tissue so yeah. i ride a bike you know i'm a mammal love it you know i wear a mammal a, i love yeah. it yeah middle-aged man in life <laughs> right. for those who don't know love it <laughs> um i'll still wear a helmet whether it was legal or not yeah. because i know it'll protect my skull but i i could still get concussed yeah okay. um and we see this all the time tour had you know had the nfl had the big helmet Still got concussed. Yeah. You know, you look at Paddy McCartan, who used to wear a, a soft shell helmet. He no longer wears a helmet. No, he doesn't. So the flip side of, the, of wearing a helmet too is that when players are wearing helmets, they get what I call the superhero complex mm-hmm. because they think that they're untouchable or yeah. they're, they're invincible. So they'll go in harder, more careless. Um, but And also team, uh, oh, sorry, opposition players will go, yeah, they're wearing a helmet. I can take them out, you know, because they're protected. Mm-hmm. And so what we see is that there's some limited research where they put some uh, sensors on the behind the ear in American college football, and they looked at the the average amount of force that the head was receiving with a helmet on versus without a helmet. And what they found was that um, without a helmet, there was 10 g forces less than when they were wearing helmets. Oh, so wow. players were unconsciously more careful and sort of I guess being more technical about their tackles rather than being more careless taking someone out yeah so helmets do not have any protection at all wow okay good to know yes uh is that the same for children because I've heard something that okay so yes yeah so it's just it doesn't matter for some reason I've heard another myth obviously Mm. where for adults it doesn't work for kids it does but now you've explained no. with the fluid and it. it doesn't no. it doesn't change it's not like you have more fluid no, when you're right. a kid it's exactly <laughs> your head's you know changing size anyway yes. um so yeah so kids adults are like helmets yep. i mean no good Redundant. if you're protecting you know your yeah, bone structure that's right exactly but yeah concussions yep. absolutely nothing no. Jeez, Alan, that's good to know i was going to talk about the um long-term effects mm. in terms of sure. what it can have Yep. And I see that lately on your Twitter, which you do fairly frequently, by the way. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. There's a SBS yeah. or BBC doco, uh, Head on Dementia yes. and Me, about an ex-rugby Stephen player. Stephen Thompson, yes. How old Stephen Thompson? He's in his uh, mid-40s, maybe early 50s now. And he, yeah. there's a documentary on him yes. about his struggles since so he's, rugby. He's been 
clinically diagnosed with dementia. Now, how yeah. young is Do you say 45? Yeah, mid-40s maybe. Is that 50s. the youngest you've heard? Uh, no, there's two others um, in the UK. This is why there's a class action about to occur. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One of them is Alex Popham, who's in his early 40s. Uh, he played for um, England as well. Um, and another guy who lives here in uh, Australia, uh, Michael uh, Lipman, who again is a rugby union player who was diagnosed with dementia at 43 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. So, Can you explain just quickly what dementia is, just in case people don't yeah, fully it, understand what that is? Yeah. So demen- dementia is, is a brain disease. Yep. Um, where, well, if we're talking about pure dementia and, you know, Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia, uh, it, it's basically, well, we're, we're not really sure how it occurs, but we certainly know that uh, it's, it's a, I guess, a trophying or, or shrinking of the brain through um, one of two ways that we're still not quite sure about. But basically, it's a proteins that are being released into the brain, which then kill the brain tissue. And so it's a, it's a slow sort of insidious disease that is, you know, um, if we could work out the mechanism, we would be then be able to cure Alzheimer's. But we just don't know what that mechanism yeah, wow. is in that. But I guess being on this point, and I might be sort of, you know, preempting your question here, but in, in concussion and, and repetitive head trauma, when we talk about players being diagnosed with dementia, we're more likely to be um, talking about chronic traumatic encephalopathy or CTE, CTE which yeah. is what I sort of talked about at the start. Yeah. And that's, that's again, a form of dementia. But the fundamental difference between Alzheimer's and, um, and CTE is that CTE uh, starts on the outermost parts of the brain as opposed to dem- Alzheimer's, which starts in the very deep parts of the brain. So there's, there's slightly different, I guess, profiles of what happens when people get CTE versus um, Alzheimer's. Um, and the other other thing is that we know the cause of CTE, and that's physical trauma to the brain. Yeah. And that's repetitive physical trauma to the brain. So we're not talking necessarily about concussions. We're talking about just hits, hits, and hits. So if anyone saw the woeful movie called Concussion. Yes. <laughs> with Will Smith. Will Smith. Yeah, with Will mm. Smith. Yeah. Who uh, played uh, the pathologist Bennett Omalu. Um, who was the? I guess the the first to provide the case study of CTE outside of boxing. So we've we've known about this disease since 1928. 1928. 1928 yes, Jeez. 1928. So the term punch drunk, uh, yeah. which is just a colloquial word, was used for boxers mm. in the in back in the day. Old boxers. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Who were sort of slur, you know, sort of slurring of words, not you know sharp and all this sort of stuff, and. People say, oh, yeah, yeah, so-and-so's, you know, um, punch drunk. Well, um, Harrison Mar- yeah, Harrison Martlin, who a, was a pathologist at Boston University, he, um, he provided the first case studies of, of six boxes in 1928, and he called the paper Punch Drunk. So it's a very famous paper. Yeah. So we've known about it in combat sports since 1928, but in sports outside of boxing, and MMA and all that sort of stuff, martial arts, didn't start until 2005 with Bennett Omalu's case study of a guy called Mike Webster, who yeah. was an NFL, one of the NFL Hall of Famers, who died yeah. at, of dementia at about 52. Um, and he was calculated to have about probably 60 to 70,000 hits to his head Jesus. over his career. So that's the sort of stuff that we're talking about. We're talking about just bumps, tackles, going to ground, 
being slung, bashed, yep, yep, all that sort of stuff. Just, you know, hundreds of times a year over a number of years. Yeah, wow. And that's, so it, it, it sort of starts off in different ways. And that's why, you know, in some of the younger players, it comes out as aggression and um, impulsivity and, and all sorts of things. Whereas in older players, so, you know, when we published the first case study of uh, of, an, of a former Australian rules football player, Polly Farmer, mm. you know, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's because he displayed symptoms of Alzheimer's. But in actual fact, he had CTE. Okay, yeah. yeah. So it can, be, it can be confused as so, well. Yes. If you want, if going personally with dad, mm, what yeah. would be like the odds of him having CTE? Do you think mm. with you yeah. seeing him quite yeah. frequently? So you know, like I, when I first met your dad, um, with your mum actually came into the lab, yeah. and it was quite interesting because you know at that point he was still able, you know, still having conversations, but he he looked like he had Parkinson's, yeah, and. Uh, I sort of mentioned to you know your mum. Look, has he been checked for yeah. for Parkinson's? And she said no, um, given the history. Yeah. Um, and so obviously you know, once we sort of like sort of said, look, you know, I'm a scientist. I cannot medically diagnose, mm. but I need you to go back to your doctor. He then got a referral to um, Professor Mark Cook at St Vincent's, who yeah. then subsequently diagnosed him, I think, with Parkinson's. Parkinson's. Now we know that there are links between repetitive head trauma and not only CTE but Parkinson's, motor neuron disease, wow. multiple sclerosis, um, and so it's likely to be a combination of CTE. Parkinson's disease mm -hmm. and in America who've done a lot more work than we have here at the moment only because they've had 10 years ahead of us is they've diagnosed CTE MND CTE Parkinson's so it is likely that um, you know the the areas of the brain have been affected mm -hmm. and that's what yeah so I, it wouldn't surprise me yeah yeah, yeah. he's donated his good brain. yes that's yeah. right yeah yeah, yeah wow. and, and that's, that's the amazing. only way that we're ever going to be able to get progress in this area is the, I guess the the altruistic and generous donation from you know families mm. because yeah. otherwise we'll we'll never know you know yeah. and and um, you know I always keep talking about the fact that um, I guess you know a lot of sports don't want to talk about this and and they've almost tried to stop. I know I'm going to get myself into so much trouble here, but <laughs> you know, right. sort of actively tried to to slow the research because um, the what I I get I, I talk about a lot is that you know absence of evidence is not evidence of absence, so we got to have research as hard as it is and as difficult it is for us to really answer these questions. Um, if we don't have the data, then we're not going to be able to understand you know, how to improve these these sports. And, and we're not here to stop the sports at all. We're here no. to make them safer yeah. and make them more enjoyable too. Yeah, and make sure people can live their life afterwards, I think. Quality of life. Quality Absolutely. of life. It's crazy too because I think a lot of these organisations, like we talk about mental health a lot. Yes. We talk about, you know, being a healthy person. And then Absolutely. this is such a massive part of that, obviously. Yeah, with that's right. the evidence that you've got already. I mean, how much did you list off then? Multiple sclerosis. Sclerosis, sclerosis, yep. Parkinson's, MND, MND, yep. like all these yes. really long-term right. effects or consequences yes. of head trauma. Yes, that I, I'm learning that today. I didn't realise mm. that. So you know, as someone who plays footy, I feel like everyone yeah. should kind of not to say that everyone who plays footy is going to, um, no. you know, have a million concussions and a million head knocks, but yes. 
you should be aware you should be aware of that before you start any contact absolutely. sport. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, you know, some of the things that we have suggested that are now being implemented in other parts of the world um, is, for example, you know, um, reducing the amount of contact in training. Yeah. Because yes. that, that reduces the exposure oh. risk. Because these are, these are diseases, environmental diseases of exposure. Yeah. So we can reduce that. So in... In England, for example, with rugby union, they've now mandated at all levels of the game that players only um, have contact training 15 minutes maximum per week. So, you know, however, yep. So train smarter, not harder, you know. Um, And this one's a bit more controversial, but we want to modify sports to non-contact for children up to the age of 14. Because if we can take out the first eight to ten years you reduce the risk of of ct in particular by probably twofold yeah you know so for every 10 years and every 10 years of exposure your risk goes up exponentially yeah almost um you know when when dr chris nowinski came out when we launched the concussion legacy foundation a couple of weeks ago he put the risk profile of cte of, of footballers and it matched that of smoking so if you look at the risk of smoking in terms of lung cancer or any sort of cancers, yeah, this 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 almost logarithmic um, uh, curve just sat right over the top. Yeah, wow. So that's the sort of risk that we're talking about. So we need to just reduce that risk and allow people to still keep playing these sports. <clears throat> and I think we were talking about that actually before about games like AFL nines where you've, oh. you've got zones and you mm-hmm. just tag, you don't tackle. Mm. That's right. It's still very much the skill aspect of the game and yep. you can do multi-gender. Like you can have yep. kind of anyone involved. Yep. Which and is, you still learn the skills of kicking, yeah. passing, handballing, um, you know, marking, all that sort of stuff that, that kids would love. But you're just reducing these these you know contact, and that's part of this culture change. Is that we've got to start to think a little bit more laterally about this, and having a modified AFL nines, then leading into the full game, that that's fine. I mean, you know, we, we see modified sports in other other sports all the time. So t ball for baseball because they're trying to you know trying to protect shoulders mm. from pitch over pitching. Yeah. Tennis, you know, you don't have kids having the full equipment. They have modified equipment modified. because it's too heavy. Yeah. So why are those sports making sure that the kids are looked after for a long term? Yeah. But not contact sports. Yeah. Yeah. It actually doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't. I don't think so. But yeah. uh, you know, that's that's just being the radical doctor I am. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> Going back to Dizzy. Yep. yep. Your dad. Um. When did your dad first start having symptoms? I reckon like maybe five or six years years ago, I believe. Yeah. Like the big thing for our family was the dinner table and like yeah. dinner. And it was like converge on the dinner table. You might not talk to each other that much throughout the day, but the dinner <laughs> yeah. table was where it was at. And um, he was always like so invested in the conversation and everything. And then all of a sudden that started to become more absent and so did his like memory and his forgetfulness um and then his like movement started to get a little bit stiffer and that's when Mm. obviously parkinson's is a move Mm. like Mm. to do with your movement um but i think also just his i think like his confidence actually got shook a bit like Mm -hmm. this uh, over this time as well like he is such a, a flamboyant sort of charismatic man and he yeah. was a very charismatic man because the, the man five, six, seven years ago 
like it's the same physical body, but it's a completely different human being. Mm. Yeah, wow. And that's a big transition for for us as a family and his friends because he was that eccentric character and now he's just like introverted and dad's obviously he's in care now and he's 68 so yeah so like young. it's relatively it's young well it feels mm, young it is you know, it feels yeah, it young is. and um yeah it's probably like six or seven years ago where you just started to notice little things and then that's when we started to see obviously the right people and then the right people put us in touch with the right people mm. and um, yeah that's the that's sort of the journey yeah, wow. And so what's your dad's background, just quickly, for, for so, people who... So, I'm sure there's maybe people who know um, his name. Yeah, at Dizzy Lynch. So he mm. played lots of, like, um, footy, obviously, and which you do. Grew up in Geelong. Um, yeah. that, if you don't play footy, you're not doing anything, who I don't are think, you? you know. <laughs> yep. And he ended up playing, like, VFL, so, like, AFL now, in a way, for mm. Richmond and the Bulldogs, just like seven games or something, but was always on their list and playing the reserves or um, and played a lot of country footy. And his background was he probably had about 10 to 12 like significant concussions, he believes, yeah, wow. um, to the point where like he had to be taken off the ground and then went to the wrong huddle mm. at quarter time, half time. And um, it's funny because it's just that, like, especially like that Victor- like country vibe. It's like a few years ago, I was at a, a local establishment and a lot of the older people played against dad and they're like, oh, we used to try and belt your dad and all this sort of stuff. And this is when dad's decline started happening. Mm. I'm like, thanks a lot. Do you know yeah, well, that where makes he is sense. now? Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. thanks. Like, but that was just a part of the, the yes. culture. That's it's right. a tough guy game, isn't it? It, like well, it was, and I think yeah. that's actually, I think that's actually dissipating a little yep. bit. That tough Definitely. guy, yes, that culture. Yeah. Do you believe that? Oh yeah, absolutely. There's there's certainly a change in not trying to physically hurt another yeah. an opposition now. You know, if yeah. if it is, it's more accidental or carelessness rather than targeting yeah. someone. Definitely. Um, you know, even even if you're looking at probably into right into the late 1990s that was still that way very much uh let's target someone yeah um hit hard and that's like right belt yes. them out of play as well yeah. i think that was a massive right. thing too, and that was which, that was glorified too that. you know yeah. so glorified. it was yeah. you know the the commentary if you look at some old youtube clips of of those sort of matches from the 70s 80s and 90s mm. you know the commentary around it was all like you know oh look at him go and oh, you know and, and just sort of really trying to ramp it up mm-hmm. yeah yeah which you know, slowly, certainly started to change in the 2000s and then probably even more so by, you know, I reckon about 2014, 2015. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny because dad's always been a massive advocate of um, getting rid of the sling tackle. Okay. In footy, yeah. especially. Yeah. Like he's yeah. hu- he's always been huge on getting rid of the sling tackle. And this is like before he started to get sick. Yeah. Because he's, I think maybe probably it happened to him a few times or saw it happen yeah. to teammates and he saw the ramifications on that whiplash and that head knock. Oh, yeah. Well, not head, brain injury. Yes, thank oh. you. And, <laughs> he's and, We're working. We're working. And We're there. <laughs> so he was always huge, like, oh, send him off his sling tackle. Yes. Like he's just always hated it. Yes. And he's still like... As much as he watches, like he does watch a fair bit of footy, but every time he said, like every time I talk to him about footy, he's yes. like, it's too much slinging. Yeah. yeah. Too much yep. slinging. Yep. Sling tackle. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the AFL version of the spear tackle, spear tackle in, in um, NRL. Mm-hmm. You know? Was it ever allowed? 
The sling tackle. I just don't think it was ever adjudicated. Yeah. Okay. That's so they just, it's, yeah. Which a lot of yeah. things they yeah, just I let just go, didn't think, they? They'd punch it, each other in the face <laughs> and they'd be like, yeah, play I, on. I think yeah. it just used to be known as a, a way to tackle. Yeah. Yes. In a way. Okay. That's it was right. never like, oh, what's what's the actual ramifications of it? That's right. Well, it's on. It's an on-purpose thing. It's like a dump tackle yep. as well, isn't yep. it? It's something you do. That's right. You, you have to know kind of what you're doing yeah. to do it, don't you? So Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Exactly. The difference yeah. between having the skills yes. in actually knowing how to tackle properly, which I think is something that that is definitely something we need to work on too. Mm. Because, mm. I mean, we learn, we obviously learn it. I'm, I only started women's footy f- uh, this just finished my third season. So right. I'm quite new. Yes. Right. In terms of footy. Yes. Um, and I've only had like one, I mean, obviously the, the coaches have played forever, whatever. Mm. I've only had one session with a, I don't know if you want to call him a professional tackle tackler, coach. but like, yeah. you know, a tackle coach. Tackle coach, yeah. One time like, yes. in my three years. Yes. And I think that that's something they need to bring in probably more consistently because yes. otherwise there are, and I, I think there is a thing that in women's footy, there are more injuries because we are, yeah. I guess we've been playing for a short amount of time and yeah. people don't know how to do it properly. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Is that true? That's my understanding. Yeah. Yes. There's, is there is you know, I guess when AFLW started, um, you know the the, um, I guess the the the, the, the predominance of the, of the players in AFLW at that time were good athletes, not good footballers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they were coming in from netball, volleyball, rowing, volleyball, basketball, whatever. Very strong athletic women, which is great, but again, not understanding tackle technique or, or landing technique um, is, you know, being one of the reasons why injury rates have been much higher, you know, and we're also trying to understand why ACL injury is much higher as well. Yeah. Um, and I think as, as time goes on, we'll start to see reductions as the girls and women come through are, are more experienced and, and better at tackling and learning the skills a bit better. Now, you know, that that's sort of been one of the counter arguments of why should we have, you know, non-contact for juniors you know this is where they learn and i'm like yeah but they can learn in a controlled environment Mm. so maybe at training they can do some tackle techniques um you know again i'm a neuroscientist i'm not a coach i'm not going to here to tell you how to run your coaching session but you probably should set set it up so that you know (laughs) there may be mats for them to learn how to fall learn how to be tackled properly learn to do tackling in a slower you know chained learned skill learning acquisition um, components, you know, this part, then we'll get this part, and then we'll put it together. So you know how to how to tackle someone rather than just going in there and trying to work it out yourself, sort of thing. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, use that use that time as junior players to learn these skills in a more controlled fashion rather than just trying to play and and collide and you know whatnot when they're kids and, and young adolescents. You know, so we can, I think, we can use that time for them to learn those skills, but not in a not in the sort of the the aggression of, of a full match. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which makes sense because I, I guess kids as well, they don't understand it. They probably don't care about it either as much, you know. And there's some kids, I mean, same thing, teacher vibes, but some kids are, you know, growing and they're yes. 50 kilos heavier than the other this the is a big issue kid. And rugby. Yeah, the yep. size difference is that's huge. Right. And so should you base it on size? Should you base it on age They've if you're going to tackle? been talking about that for 20 or 30 years. Really? Oh, yeah. I'm late that, to the party. <laughs> not, not just purely around a concussion, but, yeah, you yes. know, in in rugby league and union, they've been fight, trying to deal with this issue for now for like two or three decades yeah. because, yeah, wow. you know, you've got a 14-year-old who's 105 kilos up against a 14-year-old who's, 
you know, 60 kilos. Yeah. yeah. It just doesn't, doesn't work. work. No. It's not good maths. It's dangerous. No, no that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you just do a little bit of physics on that. Yeah. You know, force mass times, you know, equals mass times acceleration. Yeah. And, and away you go, you know. You, you can see what's going to happen to that, that small kid. Not good. Yeah. No. And no. then that pushes people away from sport as well. Like That's one of the reasons too yeah. is the concern around participation. Yeah. Because, you know, and, and parents too see this and they worry that maybe their son or daughter is going to get absolutely, you know, cleaned up each week. Well, I think, I'll, you know, maybe they should play tennis. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, single person sport. Yeah. 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 And I guess yeah. that, you know, that that's put me on a, again, a, on a bit of a collision course, so to speak, with, you know, a few people where... They've said, oh, you know, we, if they don't play football or rugby or whatever, then, you know, their mental health's going to be affected. I'm like, so you're telling me that Roger Federer is not an athlete? Yeah. You know, you're <laughs> telling me that, um, you know, the Olympic swimmers are not athletes? Yeah. Oh, they're not a part golf. of a community. Yeah, golfing. You know. He's not a... Not a Ashbardi. Yeah, yeah, great athlete. Um, so it's... <sighs> You know, the mental health benefits are for sport generally. It's not just if you don't play footy, then your mental health is going to be affected. And we've got to think a bit more broadly than that. But yeah. I want people to play football and rugby yeah. and whatnot. We just want to do it safer. You've never said don't play. No. No. Yeah. Never, ever. Which is And no. there are so much benefits. I know we're talking a lot yeah, about the injuries, right. but and obviously like the community yeah. around it yes. and being involved. And I think that would make it hard yep. for people to, number one, if they were injured with a concussion, to step back because it is such a great thing to be a part of. Yeah, that's and, right. Or even not play on the weekend, you know, like me with finals. You want to you want to yeah. get out there and be a part of it. And yes. even if you're on the sidelines, you, you're not as – it's just you're not as yeah. not as into it as you could yeah. be. Mm -hmm. um, so and I this guess, is, yeah. you know, the concern around concussion being a, a, um, a, a uh, invisible injury, right? Because yeah. if you were there with a hamstring injury or you've done a – a knee or an ankle when you're in a cast, yeah, okay, you can't play. But for some reason, you've got you've had a brain injury. Oh, we'll be able to get you into the into the yeah, finals. I thought, you know, yeah. it certainly wouldn't allow you to go back on if it was something no. physically you know showing up. No. But you know, the fact that you've had a brain injury, yeah, well, yeah, you're okay. You're okay. Yeah. That's <laughs> that you'll be right mentality, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you'll be right. Yeah, you'll be right right for this. Yes, yeah. yes. And, Toughen up. And this is again a, something that I think the media can improve. You know, not trying to give the impression that X player will be back in, you know, 10 days or 12 days, you know, for the next round. And again, ranting on Twitter as I do, um, a you know, if a player take, has to take an extra week, there's this article in the paper going, so-and-so has taken another week off. And I'm like, of course I should take another week off. You know, we know that the brain takes up to four weeks. Yeah. So if they have to take an extra week off being, you know, two or three weeks, that's not news. Mm. That's just good management. Yeah. <clears throat> so it shouldn't be this big surprise. It no. Be like, yeah, and of that's the way you're playing it. And again, that's part of this yeah. whole culture change. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, one last, sure. last little thing. Where can we find you? Where can we find yeah. your research? Where can we help to donate? Yes. All of those things. Yeah. So <clears throat> as, as you said in the introduction, I'm... I'm uh, <clears throat> running, a, a, I guess, a consultancy and, and lab, private laboratory called Neurosports Labs. <clears throat> um, and that's because, you know, unfortunately in science, we're not really getting the funding that we can keep ourselves going. You know, funding for science really needs to improve, unfortunately. Um, so I've sort of needed to, to 
to look at ways of staying in the game, so to speak. So, um, you know, that that's my primary sort of business now that I'm involved in in the Docklands. Um, but I also do, um, I guess, charity work for the Australian Sports Brain Bank, where I'm a honorary research uh, manager for Victoria. Um, and I sort of help with uh, brain donations, how to donate. But we all, all obviously also need to, you know, funding to do the work. Every brain that we analyze costs five thousand dollars. Wow! So yeah, you know, it is it is quite an expensive exercise. So even though, you know, the, we published our first, I guess, cohort study of brains last year. Um, it, was, it was the first twenty-one brains of the brain bank. So you can do the mathematics on how much that research paper costed so you know we we certainly need help so not just obviously brain pledges but if people are thinking about fundraising you know think about the brain bank and and you know it's brainbank.org.au um and and uh, you know rather than fundraising for other other known charities maybe have a think about something different you know the brain bank certainly can help and parallel to that we've only we've just started in the last few weeks uh, the concussion legacy foundation australia so that's part of the world uh, concussion legacy foundation that was started by chris nowinski in america about 15 years ago um and again that's that's sort of a broader um terms of of research funding so it's not just for sport but for uh, military, um, workplace accidents, mm-hmm. um, support, education, um, helpline, that sort of stuff. And that's um, concussionfoundation.org.au. But I'll, I'll double check that. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I'll we, leave it all in the just, show notes. Yeah. As well. So we'll only just started. So we're, we're still getting that up and running. But, um, you know, we're also getting, we need significant donations there. So, you know, we, we've got all these studies that we need to do. You know, we need to be able to diagnose CTE and living people, for example. Yeah. yeah. So then we can do some help and rehab and treatments and support. But at the moment, the only way you can diagnose CTE is post-mortem. So, yeah. you know, we need, a, we need lots and lots of money. So again, if you're thinking about fundraising, maybe, you know, for a change, think about the Brain Bank or Concussion Legacy Foundation as your uh, charity of choice. Absolutely. Well, yeah, you heard it there. I will make sure that all of those links and every little bit of information there is in the show notes as well to make it easy for people to find. Thank you guys for coming in and chatting with me. Josh, thank you. Really appreciate it. And, um, you know, you and your family for sharing and your dad, of course. Happy to. I think it's the only way that you can sort of get those stories, the real life ones, the real yep. life experience. The, the lived experience is the, yep. is the it's key. It's important. Yeah. Yep. And thank you. Absolute no expert. <laughs> Wasn't lying when he said he was a concussion expert, was he? <laughs> no. I've uh, been around a little bit. Uh, no, thank you. Really, really appreciate oh, you coming ve- in and chatting. very welcome. And I My learned pleasure. a lot. Don't know about yeah. you, Josh. No, I did. Jeez. <laughs> My brain's hurting after this. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, right. guys. Thank, thank you. you. Hey team, I hope you enjoyed this episode. It would be a huge help for me and the health classes you missed if you could like, follow or subscribe wherever you are listening. And if you want to stay up to date with me, make sure you come and follow me on the health classes you missed on Instagram or THCYM underscore podcast on TikTok. Thanks guys. See you later.